Hello and welcome to At The Flicks. And welcome back to our continuing series, Rediscovering James Bond with Elijah. Welcome back, young man. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. So I hear you found some cats in your basement. Yeah, we, we found, well, <laughs> we found cats in our garage. All right. And we put them okay. in a box to keep them safe because I almost crushed them by moving my stuff around in there. And the next day they were gone. But, uh, yeah, I tried to cut off people asking me, like, why would you take kittens away from their moms? Like, well, this, this is a feral cat in our neighborhood who keeps having kittens all over the place. And one time it was <laughs> in our cellar. We had to scrape the dead bodies off of the uh, concrete, so that was fun. Hmm. This could be the synopsis for a Bond film, couldn't it? The evil cat. It's actually Blofeld's cat, I think. Blofeld's cat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, so returning to Bond. Well, we've now reached the sixth film in the series and the end of the first decade of James Bond films. Sean Connery had left, and it wasn't on the best of terms. Enter Australian model George Lazenby who at 29 would be the youngest actor to play James Bond, and I believe the only one to previously wander around with a giant bar of fries Turkish <laughs> delight under his arm. <laughs> also, this was the first film as director, and indeed uh, the only James Bond film, for former editor Peter Hunt. Now, as a complete aside, because I know you like to hear my personal stories, I was on holiday in Porthcawl with my family when this film opened and queued up for hours to go in and watch it because it was one of the premium sites, being Wales, of course, to uh, <laughs> to get uh, uh, James Bond just after it opened. So it was a huge buzz at that time. But that's enough about me for the moment. Trust me, I will return. Let's find out your views on this film. Elijah, what are your initial thoughts, having just seen On a Majesty's Secret Service? I went in not thinking I was going to like it because, you know, it's not Sean Connery. It looked like it was going to be a completely different thing. And uh, in, in some ways, I was right. It was a completely different thing. But I actually really enjoyed it. Excellent. In the films that we've seen so far, where do you put it on your list? You know, I don't know exactly where I would put it. It doesn't feel like the others at all. It feels much more like a uh, your typical spy thriller rather than a Bond spy thriller. That's a really good point, and I think we're going to be coming back to that. Neil, your first impressions? Yeah, I, I must admit, I've, I've watched it ages and ages and ages ago, and at the time, the British press were absolutely slating Lazenby, so you kind of sort of drawn to this, oh, it's terrible, let's just dismiss it and never watch it again. But it's at least as good as future ones. I did miss Connery, I must admit, and that's um that's still a problem for me, but I didn't I didn't think it was that bad. It's certainly better than some of the efforts in the future. Okay. Graham. Yeah, I think they were going for a different look and a different feel and I mm. don't think they quite hit it. I think they did want to make it more spy and less gadgety. Uh, I think they wanted to up it a bit in the action stakes. I thought Diana Rigg was exceptional. I was not impressed by Mr. Lazenby. I didn't <laughs> Just like everybody else, I was missing Sean Connery a lot. But, yeah, good effort. Okay. Well, I would briefly say that it had something the previous couple hadn't, which was a plot, uh, <laughs> although I did feel it was overlong, and we'll talk about that in more yeah, detail yeah, shortly. Yeah. As Graham's hinted at the end, we've got to deal with the elephant in the room. Let's talk about one-time James Bond and the man who returned to the scene of the crime, 
Australian George Lazenby. This never happened to the other fellow. Elijah, what did you think of him? I thought he did fine, but is he James Bond? I'm not sure. Like if he was if he was another character, and if this was set in a world that wasn't Bond, I think he would have been really, really good. But you're coming mm. off of Sean Connery, who owns the role. And, and he tried to copy Connery, didn't he? Same barber, same suit, same tailor and well, everything. He wore a, tu- a tuxedo way more often than this. Connery doesn't tend to wear a tuxedo. Hmm. I've got to be honest, some of his dress sense choices were appalling. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the kilt, shall we? Yeah, not, not, not just the kilt then. Okay. Yeah. Well, the kilt was playing a part. It did, yes, it did, didn't it? Yeah, I wanted to get married in a kilt, but my wife wouldn't let me. Yeah, it comes back to the old joke. Is there anything worn under the kilt? No, it's all in perfect working order. <laughs> Such an old joke. Graham, your thoughts on Mr. Lazenby? He's not Connery. What a startling observation that was. Nothing gets by me, Jeff. Yeah, yeah I noticed that straight off the bat. Yeah. And going down on the one knee to shoot the gun, you know, I thought, come on. Connery can do that standing up. He was okay. I had more problems with him the longer the film went on. But, you know, there there is an expectation, and the whole expectation of Bond is built out of Connery's portrayal of Bond. So, therefore, when it's not Connery, you've got to really start again and go with it. And I thought he was okay, not great. Okay. I can see why he went after one. Neil? Well, I think he struggled from the beginning. For start, he's not British, he's Australian, which probably is why one of the reasons that the, the British tabloids and others absolutely slated him. Because he wasn't actually an actor, and he basically went and got a suit from the same tailor as uh, Sean Connery, got his hair cut the same, and then managed to get in on the set for a, a screen test. Director just went, yeah, if you can get past Saltzman and broccoli then yeah sure why not you can be an actor and yeah it doesn't really work it's he's too young he irritated people though connery did too because he was so bored um (laughs) i mean he was given a seven film deal i mean he turned down the second one and just said no he didn't want to do it anymore so which he um, he went to regret but but he was also he was also saddled with the fact that they were going to stick rigidly to the book I, I don't Bond. see that as a liability, though, Neil. No? I mean, no. No, well, you've got a plot. Okay, yeah. we're, we're not going to run around, travelogue around Japan and, okay, and then end up in a <laughs> volcano. We, we're, we're actually going to go from A to B to C. <laughs> yeah, 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 that is true. I mean, he, he was also against uh, Telly Savalas and um, Diana Rigg. Those two could act him off the planet, which I don't think helped him. And you pick up the point I was going to say is that I think despite the animosity between Diana Rigg and George Lazenby, I think that whenever she was on screen, she did get him to raise his game. Other Mm. than that, I thought he was fairly solid, like a Royal Oak. Um, But I think, you know, he he was to go on and, and do other work that's better. I remember a 1975 film called The Man from Hong Kong, a sort of Bond kung fu ripoff, which he plays the villain, and he is actually very good in it. But in this, no. You know, he was 29, the youngest actor ever to play Bond, and I think it showed. 
And that leads me on to my next question. And I think we're all, you know, we've all got reservations here. Who would you have offered the part to? Adam West was offered it first and turned it down. Timothy Dalton, who was only 22, also turned it down because he felt he was mm. too young. Who at that time would you have thought would have made a good James Bond? Now, Neil, I in part know your answer, so I'm going to throw this at you first. Well, I, I was thinking this through sort of St- Stanley Baker, Michael Caine, Alan Bates, whoever, those sort of actors, and then came across uh, Terence Stamp, and I think he would have made a great Bond, although very yeah. much different to, to uh, Connery, much less sort of the muscular one, much more like a spy, to be honest. So I like it when Neil leads me into things I can then say. So Terence Stamp was actually in the running for this role. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he also had an idea of where to take the character over the next three, four films, pretty much like Daniel Craig has done now. He was um, an established actor by then, he wasn't was he? He was an established actor. Uh, he'd done some really good work in things like Billy Budd and at this time Far From the Madding Crowd. But, yeah, he wanted to do what Daniel Craig has since done, which is develop a character over three, four films. And Saltzman and Broccoli weren't having any of that arty nonsense <laughs> so, so Elijah, who would you have picked? I am not familiar enough with the actors from that era to have uh, an informed you're, opinion on you're this. You're saying you're not old enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is, you guys are ancient. <laughs> I'm still youthful, <laughs> and uh, therefore no. my opinion matters less in this topic. We're not denying it, sadly. Which <laughs> no, no. is fine. It's when you start calling us prehistoric. That yeah, upset. yeah I'm just jealous that you guys got to grow up with dinosaurs and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Training them? Oh, that was really tempting. <laughs> so, so, Graham, who was very much a part of this, you were in your early 20s then, weren't you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, I've always looked up to you, Jeff, because you're 20 years older well, than me. You always look up to me because you're shorter. Uh, <laughs> uh, and another one of Jeff's bureau of bullshit that he can make <laughs> stuff out of you. I, I'd have liked them to have done something really different, gone with Michael Caine. Well, you know, something a bit more edgy, a bit more landing, a bit more geezer. You know, they could have I, I love it when you guys lead me into things I can then elaborate on. So Kane was also offered the part. Of no. course, yeah, but he had done uh, the Harry Palmer films for Saltzman. Yes, I think exactly. he had done two. He's just about to do the third Billion Dollar Brain. Of course, he was worried about the typecasting, which is why he wore his glasses to play the role of Harry Palmer. So when he was offered it, he turned it down straight away. Misogynity. My choice yeah. would have been, although he's around the same age as George Lazenby, but my choice would have been Ian McShane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 You know, with the dark brooding looks, uh, I think McShane, uh, I think Ian McShane would have brought something quite interesting to this part. Yeah. Well, they, well, they, and it, I think he's yeah, right. really like four foot tall. Uh, Graham would still look up to him. Oh, shit. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Please take that one out. Yeah. Especially as, Gra- as Graham is taller than you, Jeff. Exactly, exactly. When the truth becomes legend, print the legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Sam. <laughs> My little hobbit friend there, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so back to this. So, Elijah, this is the de- directorial debut for editor Peter Hunt. In fact, it was the only Bond film he ever made because it was perceived as a failure. Financially, it wasn't. 
but this perception was, was put in. Uh, Hans' career as a director after that was checkered. His biggest hit was a film called Gold, starring Roger Moore. Oddly enough, in between the Bond films, Roger Moore did two films with Peter Hunt, Gold and Shout of the Devil, both based on books by Wilbur Smith. How does he do here on his first film as director? I actually think it's a fairly decent job. I mean, we covered Lays and B, so, you know, we can dispense with that. I think he does a good job setting up all the scenes, getting the plot to work. The combination of the cinematography and the set pieces, I think, are actually pretty decent. I mean, it looks great. And certainly some of the sequences in Switzerland are amazing. Graham? I'm going to be awkward and say I was not that impressed. I thought he was a bit unsure of himself. He needed to tighten the whole thing up. It really is far, far too long. Mm. And he needed to be more ruthless and sure of himself, like a, like a more a more professional director would have gone, no, this doesn't work or that doesn't work. Or, we need to tighten this piece up and really worked hard with the editor to get it really fast and snappy. There are some scenes that just drag and drag and are not necessary for the plot. Overall, I agree the cinematography is great. Mm. The action scenes are very well done. Got great performances out of um, you know a first-time actor, as Lazenby was, he managed to get some decent performances out of them. I think uh, Diana Rigg got better performances out of Lazenby because when the two of them took together, that works very well, even though they hated one another. He just needed to work and be more sure-footed and a bit more accurate with his editing. So you're saying me- the editor needed an editor. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah. funny enough, his editor, who was brought on board for this film, uh, so I love it when you guys feed me this. Was a chap called John Glenn. He was the editor and second unit director. Right. He went on to direct four or five Bond films, starting yeah, yeah. with Three Your Eyes Only. So uh, huh. yeah, he he was uh, the editor on this. But I want to pick up with Graham what you were saying there about it. Yeah, you know, the length of it. And what I found watching it this time is I was transfixed whenever Diana Rigg was on screen because. She brought that momentum. She understood what she was doing. Whenever she's not on screen and that long sequence when she's not around, when he's on Piers Gloria, it dragged. Yes. Um, yeah, that that was the thing for me. He should have had more Diana Rigg in it. Neil, your thoughts? Well, apparently this is Christopher Nolan's favourite Bond. Film. Correct. It is. And his comment was there's a balance of action and scale versus romance, tragedy and emotion. Yeah. I'm not sure and I agree he, uh, It inspired a lot of sequences in, its, in Inception. Yes, okay. yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was. Uh, other other than that, I'm not sure I agree with him. <laughs> it is far too long. Then again, Christopher Nolan films are far too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, here we go. <laughs> Sorry, Graham. Yeah, I was just going to say, all the bits with him hopping between all the bedrooms. Yeah, get rid of that. Yeah, we get it. We get it, you know. I mean, but, the worst part was when he said, he was like, oh, seven or eight, nine, yeah, ten. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, come on. But he, they weren't actually helping him escape or anything. So I don't see why he bothered, apart from obviously. <laughs> right, okay. Well, obviously, obviously the sex was something, but it wasn't really part of the plot, yeah. was it? Neil, Neil, we need to talk after the show. Yeah. He was trying That's to get information funny. from the first girl. 
Yes. Yes. But the second, the second one, the she was in his room. He wasn't in her. But yeah. then in the next night, he did the same. Yeah, at that yeah, point, he was just doing the rounds. Yeah. <laughs> like but, a milkman. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Oh, dear. But, dear. Stop that. I, re- I reckon Irma Bunt was the smartest one of them all, so he should have stayed with her. Fabulous beauties. All of them dolls. Every one different. They've got to be when he's around. My name's Bond. James Bond. The new Bond. Suppose I were to kill you for a thrill. The different 007. Um, <laughs> by, the, by the way, a very sad story about Irma Bunt, who was meant to be in Diamonds Are Forever, as played by Ilsa Steppert. Four days after on Manchester Secret Service release, she died of heart attack. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a um, German actress, one of her biggest successes, really great actress as well throughout her career. And, you know, just when international success was calling, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Because she was really good in it as well. Mm. And yes, she, she wasn't dubbed. Yeah. She was very creepy. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of creepy, it's your turn to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> what a good seg. Well done. Hunt insisted on following the plot of the novel quite closely, so away from the action spectaculars of the previous two films. Does this change of pace work for you, Elijah? It works for me as a film, but again, as a Bond movie, not so much. As a spy thriller instead of a Bond, I feel like it. the deliberate pace kind of builds up the tension in the story. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, until he's sleeping with all 12 of the women at different hours of the night. Yeah. In order. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Picking up on that from you then, do you think this is much closer to, say, From Russia With Love than anything else? That's probably going to be the Bond film that it's closest to. I'd go back to what Jeff was saying at the start. It does have a plot. You yes, know? it and, does. And yeah. it does have a very interesting end. I don't know whether we're going to do spoilers. It is 60 years old. You know, The end of it, I thought, that's a great piece of plotting, but it just didn't deliver for me because I didn't don't think he had the emotional range of an actor, a proper actor, to deliver it. Lazenby, I'm talking about. But I think Hunt wanting to follow the plot of the novel is great because I was saying that in one of our previous podcasts when we were doing Thunderball, and I said the th- the plot in Thunderball, the book is really, really good, and he just threw it out. Be careful what you wish for. Here, Hunt followed the th- the plot of the book, and I think, yeah, it is, it's got a plot. It's good. But it is a very spy thriller rather than James Bond thriller. Jeff? I think it it was the right decision. I mean, the first act I was really invested in mm. because, you know, that whole thing of Bond and Tracy and how he gets involved and he's bartering to get the information he wants on Blofeld, I thought that was really good. It was only when it went up to Piers Gloria and Diana Rigg is nowhere to be seen for about half an hour of the film that I felt it, it sort of dragged, but on the whole, it's good. And the action scenes, when they do come at the end, because it's sparse in the action, again, really work. The only thing that I thought was really daft was that moment, you know, when he escapes from Piers Gloria and he's on the cable car? Yeah. yeah that, and that's... he's holding on. And then the next thing you see, he's down on the, the cable car. He's defied the laws of physics yes. to actually get from that rope to the cable car. Wouldn't yeah. it? Jeff, yeah, it is indeed. called movie magic. Yeah, there we yeah. go. See, yeah. that was it. It will later be employed in such reputable franchises as Fast and the Furious. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. indeed. <laughs> or, yeah. or Tenant. 
Yeah. Uh, Except Tenet actually <laughs> plays with physics. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Touche. So scriptwriter Richard Maybaum, who had scripted most of the films up to now, is back. What about his script and one-liners? And I think this never happened to the other guy. Was a was a ad lib, wasn't it? By um, Lazenby, Elijah. Were there one-liners after that one? Well, yeah, I suppose so. He did Bond, James Bond, and that's about it, well, isn't uh, it? Yeah, lines like "I hope my big end will stand up to this." That Jeez. she said that. She said that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, check. I didn't think it was that big an end. There's one moment that stood out to me when he's with the first girl, uh, whatever, Rose, and he says all those things to her. And then he goes back to his room, the other girl had snuck in, and he says the exact same thing to her. <laughs> I think yes, it was does, a brilliant it? piece of scripting in that it shows that he is so just like robotic at this point. He was probably and tired. But it makes him appear much more sleazy than I think it would have otherwise. Yes. When he goes into the when he the ch- somebody chasing Bond on skis goes into a snowblower, and then spews red snow and everything, he does say he had a lot of guts. But that, oh, that's, that's yeah. a great line. I was actually shocked by that scene. I was not expecting that. It was something out of Fargo, wasn't it? None of them are like yeah. shocking, or he got the point. Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on a minute. No, no. To be fair, that bit at the end where Q's saying to him about gizmos and things, he says, Q, I've got the gadgets and I know how to use them. I thought that was quite good. (laughs) That was terrible. (laughs) Keeps those gadgets in a kilt. Yeah, and uh, nothing worn under there. Yeah. Given the stronger narrative and script, how would this have played with Sean Connery as James Bond? Let's start with you, Graham, on this one. That's the problem right there. I don't mm. love to have seen Connery, if he was happy, not not if he was misery, Mr. Misery like he was in mm. Only Live Twice, but if he was at the top of his game like he was in, in Goldfinger doing this, I think that would have been a hell of a film. And yeah. he'd have got on with Diana Rigg and it would have been magical. So, yes. yeah, I know it's all fantasy and we can think about this, but, yeah, that would have been perfect. And he can genuinely wear a kilt. Elijah. <laughs> I think someone just needs to do a deep fake. Yes, yes, good idea. It's hard to say just because of how different of a film this is. And Connery's larger than life, which, you know, is what Bond is supposed to be. Lazenby is very much not larger than life. It's very much of a, a more a quieter role in this film than anything that Connery had done before. So maybe if they'd written it and then he had been able to have say in what was happening and how he did it, then it would have been a very, very different experience for the character. Obviously, just for him portraying it, but also maybe script-wise. I think Elijah makes a really good point there that I hadn't thought of, that Sean Connery is larger than life and George Lazenby isn't. Yeah. And that's quite right. It's, so it's the whole thing is played subdued, whereas I think somebody with Sean Connery's energy Bouncing off against somebody with the charisma of Diana Rigg, that would have been something to see. And Connery was to say years later, you know, had the scripts been of the standard of Honor Manchester Secret Service, he may not have left Bond when he did. I think the way you can compare this film to something that Connery would have done is, again, take the example of From Russia With Love. It's another film that is very close to the novel. And the way that Connery plays in that film and put it into this. And I think it would have been 
interesting and and how we would have delivered those one-liners you know that we've been talking about would have been very different and he'd have added some more in of course he would have added some more usually did we'll go on in shows to come talking about live and let die and how roger moore handled the one-liners some of those lines spoken by sean connery would have given it an x certificate (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know one interesting part is that in uh the films with connery connery never shows any fear or trepidation or anything whereas lazenby i mean there are multiple times where he seems to be afraid of what's going on like when he's running away from them yeah in the town like he's mm. generally freaked out and not making the best decisions we've spoken about it being over long and peter Hunt is first time director and george lazenby so we have concerns and qualms about this film and it looks like the producers did as well, because if you look at the way the film is constructed, it opens not with a scene of Bond, but with a scene of MQ and Moneypenny talking together before it cuts across to the new James Bond. So it's almost like saying, don't worry, folks, these regulars are all here. Everything says it should be. And then it cuts across. And then once we've had this never happened to the other fella, it goes to the credits And the credits include sequences from all the films that had come before, again, creating that continuity. So there was clearly a concern on the part of the producers. Do you think that concern and that reference back was warranted or could they have dispensed with it? Elijah? Should have gotten rid of it. Should have let it be its own thing. The callbacks actually make the film worse, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, there was one point where they were even to thinking about saying that Bond had had plastic surgery because everybody knew who he was to excuse the fact that, that uh, George Lazenby had taken over the role. That would actually have gotten rid of a plot it, hole. Yeah, pretending well, yeah, we're going to yes, discuss indeed. that plot hole very shortly. Yeah, Neil, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think they, they genuinely thought they had a problem. I don't think this was as advertised as previous ones, was it? Do they even mention much about Lazenby in the uh, in the adverts, the tri- trailers and everything? I'm not sure. I think they got really scared and thought, let's just draw a line under it. I hadn't thought of that, that they were scared and why they put all those bits from the first uh, films in this one at, during the credit sequence. But yeah, you're right. It does smack a bit of, oh, we're not so sure this is going to fly, guys. Let's make sure that people know it's the same franchise and it's just a new lead actor. It's always a problem when you switch people around. I think they were worried. I didn't really, it didn't really play on my mind as I was going through. I just thought, this is James Bond. It's a sort of subpar James Bond. It's not Connery, but I didn't think they had a major problem. But you forget, you're looking at the perspective now of, we know this is just a one-off. When this film opened, this guy was going to be James Bond, as you say, for three, four films. Seven. We've spoken at length about George Lazenby. Let's speak about Diana Rigg, the second ex-Avengers female co-star to appear in James Bond. Although there was another Avengers co-star from the future, also in this film with Joanna Lumley. Uh, Neil, your thoughts on Diana Rigg? Brilliant. Yeah, I'd outshone the uh, uh, Lazenby, I'm afraid. She's good as all she always is. She was already primed for it in, uh, as you say, in uh, the Avengers. So, or the new Avengers as it was, wasn't it? <laughs> was that the one with Storm and the Elastic Man? No, different Avengers. Okay. 
This was a good Avengers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Elijah, your thoughts on Diana Rigg then? I think she's fine. Again, it's something I have to, I'm going to have to rewatch it at some point because one night to think it over and to, you know, experience it yeah. was a little bit rough. So if I was to say a name to you, Mrs. Emma Peel, that would mean nothing to you, would it? Who? So that was the character Diana Rigg played on the Avengers. What is the Avengers? <laughs> so the Avengers is um, one of these. Well, it's really interesting because it started off in the early 60s as some sort of secret government agency revenge story starring Patrick McNee and Ian Hendry. And then they decided to lighten it up and they got rid of Hendry because his alcoholism was becoming a problem at this stage. And they brought in on a Blackman. The spark between John Steed, who's this gentleman, suave British spy, and Honor Blackman. That worked really well until they offered Honor Blackman the part in Goldfinger. So they brought in then Diana Rigg as Mrs. Emma Peel. They are the craziest plots that you've ever seen. <laughs> if you can track it yeah, down anywhere, have a, have a look at a couple of episodes. I, I'm too frightened to go back because I loved them when I was growing up. I don't know if they will hold up now, but they are just off the wall. The Cybernauts. Remember the Cybernauts guy? Yeah. From Doctor Who. No, that's no, the Cybermen. Cybermen. Oh, God, I'm supposed to remember so much history. Yeah, I know. It's very 60s, very camp, very funny. Oh, Diana Rigg for me was just absolutely perfect. And she, I love the way she went through all the changes. So she starts off as a spoiled rich girl, out of her depth, wants to kill herself, doesn't know how to handle things. Then she becomes more uh, rich girl, uh, daddy's little girl, and then she becomes action hero superstar. And she handled him very well. Yeah, and that's interesting because she isn't subservient to Bond. Yes. She's his equal. Yeah. Yeah. And she's driving all the time. Yes, indeed. When they're doing that big chase scene, she's driving the car. I think it gives her a lot more agency than most other Bond girls. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and on the race course as well, where they get stuck on a race course. Yeah, she's driving again. Although, according to Mr. Lazenby in his letter attacking her, she used to drink champagne for breakfast. Ah, as Lots. we all do. Is that abnormal in England? <laughs> the treatment of the Tracy character is disturbing. Bond slaps her at one point. Her dad punches her out. At one point, the, his dad says to Bond, well, all she needs is a man to dominate her. I know this is 60s. I mean, the only person that treats her civilly is the villain, Blofeld. <laughs> <laughs> Elijah, your thoughts on that one? To be mildly fair to Bond, he slapped her when he thought that he she had had a guy try to kill him. Okay. Right. But that's being perhaps overly gracious. Yeah. And compared to a lot of the other stuff that Bond has done to women, that's comparatively mild. That's yeah. uh, 1960s. Let's just sort of no. Let's just leave it behind. It's a half a step forward, kind yeah. of. Or at least it's not a step backwards. I did like the fact that Telly of Savalas um, says, oh, I can make you a, a countess. And she goes, I'm already a countess. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't need to cut her earlobes can off. We, no, give me something else. <laughs> okay, so I'll move on from the Diana Rigg conversation then. Let's talk about the villains. Telly Savalis, a much more energetic Blofeld than Donald Pleasance. I may yet surprise you, but I'm afraid that you have no surprises left for me. I know all about your mission, Mr. Bond. Your colleague, 
such a keen climber, such a brilliant conversationalist, before he left us. You realize you're a reporter where I am? I doubt that. In any case, no one's going to come to your rescue. In a few hours, the United Nations will receive my Yuletide greetings. The information that I now possess, the scientific means to control or to destroy the economy of the whole world. How was his performance, Graham? I actually thought it was quite good. I didn't think he was great in the action scenes, but I think as a, a brooding, menacing narcissist, I thought he was pretty good. It's not yeah. his fault, Graham. The person who was supposed to be handling that back projection, and when he clearly fell over during the uh, the bobsleigh run, it's his fault that made him look bad in the action scene. Bobsleigh run was hysterical, but that, that's that's for later. But yeah, I thought he was good. He was certainly. Uh, much better than Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance was asleep most of the time. At least Telly Savalas looked like he did want to be a proper villain and take over the world. I, I, I totally disagree with that. If you look at all the films from Russia with Love onwards, where you never see Blofeld, but you see him sitting behind a chair, he took that character and 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 just expanded it. What Savalas did was was very different. Mm. So I, I I think that's very unfair on the late Mr. Pleasance, who's not here to defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 Graham. Yeah, I know. When he was alive, you know, he rang me up all the time and said, you're treating me bad. Yeah, come on, Jeff. Elisa Vallis took it in. A, I mean, they were trying to do different things, def- a lot of different things with this one. And I think making Elisa Vallis be a bit more action, you know, running, jumping, hiding sort of <laughs> energetic Blofeld than Donald Pleasance sitting in chair playing with Cat the whole time. So I thought, I thought his performance was very good. Elijah, your thoughts on Telly Savalis? Um, I actually really liked him as a villain. Um, I recognize the actor from uh, Battle of the Bulge. Yes. Where he plays a tank operator. So it was kind of fun seeing him again. Yeah, I think he really owns the villain style of the role and does a really really great job yeah yeah i would agree he is a physical presence my mm. only concern with telly savalis is when he was out skiing with the guys he had that flesh-colored hat on that made him look like a human penis but <laughs> apart from that well it's just he, to reinforce that he's a dick yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. at yeah. one Touché, point he's wearing a hat that's made of fur but the way that it it's it's, it's all matted it looks like brains. <laughs> Apparently, um, during film, filming at Piz Gloria, the cast and crew received their cash daily, and Lazenby walking around with a suitcase of cash. So Savalas invited him to a late-night poker game and took it all off him. <laughs> and, and then Saltzman f- found out about it, went in and won it all back again and gave it back to Lazenby. <laughs> and told told Savalas to leave him alone, leave the young kid alone. Well, I mean, he really isn't Bond, is he? Prior to this, um, Savalas, of course, made uh, Dirty Dozen yeah, yeah. with uh, Jim Brown and Lee Marvin. So there's yeah. a lot of drinking and a lot of card playing on that set, yeah. I can assure you. Elijah, back to you. Any other performances stand out for you? Money Penny, Not I think. Though I, I feel yeah. like they took a little bit of her agency out this time. Because she's always had with with Connery, she always had this um, flirtatious relationship that had no intention of being serious, where she plays him more than he plays her. Yeah, yeah. 
And this one with him kissing her at the very beginning of the film, and it kind of took away from some of that chemistry. Hmm. And her in the wedding at the end? I don't feel like she would have been crying. No. No, she's a tough cookie. Yeah. She don't. No, she would have yeah. had somebody on her arm. Yeah. 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 No, no. Fair enough. What about you, Neil? Any Anybody else stand out for you? Well, I quite like Gabriella Fazzetti as uh, Draco. I thought he had that sort of um, duplicitous thing where he's working for Blofeld and, uh, no, no, I'll work for you if this works best for me. Um, even though he's as criminal as Blofeld, I thought that went well. Other than that, yes, I, I thought uh, Money Penny definitely. It's um, always good. Although he was dubbed, wasn't he? Fazzetti. Was he? Yes, he was dubbed. Well, they dubbed oh, the so- dude. Yeah, they, they dubbed the dude. The one they dubbed Bond in now. They dubbed uh, Lazenby too. They dubbed Lazenby. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, he was when he was playing, um, pretending to be Hillary Bray. He couldn't get the uh, get get posh enough, so he uh, so the play, the guy who played Hillary Bray dubbed his voice. A guy called George Baker. Um, when he was pretending to be Hilary Bray, actually was the guy who's playing Hilary Bray. So that makes sense. Doing his voice, so he did sound quite uh, quite similar, but only because it was the same bloke. <laughs> Although he's due to come back into another Bond film, is he? Is in Spy Love Me. We shall be returning to him later, Graham. Well, that's disappointed me then, Neil, because I thought Lazenby had. Crack that accent, but he obviously hadn't. hadn't no, no, yeah. no, no. Let's cut it right. No, George, <laughs> in you come. <laughs> yeah, being a being a a uh, an American and cultured, I definitely got the uh, difference right away. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. I had to read it. <laughs> I, I just didn't get it at all. So you've got, you've, you've all had all the best people. I'm left with Northern Chicken Girl, haven't I? Yeah, well, actually, that's, that's a really sad story about her. Was really? it? Oh, no, people, like, don't tell me there's people that she she never died of eating chicken. The she? chickens died. No, no she, she was killed by chickens. What? She poisoned herself. Did she? Oh, with chicken? She, she, no, she was married to Leslie Phillips. Yes. And, of course um, she was. Yeah, she had all sorts of health problems and mental health problems. But they had Julie Edge in there, and you yeah. missed Joanna Lumley, Anuska yeah. Hempel, Jenny Hanley. None of these names mean anything to you, Elijah, I know. No, but, no, you know, to us, no, <laughs> to us, they, these are important names. Jenny Hanley from a TV series from the early 70s, just as we're hitting adolescence, was quite an important part of all of our careers. <laughs> she played the Irish girl. Yeah, I didn't even know she was in it, to be quite honest. I mean, so yeah. But no, I, I, the, the only one I would add is, uh, and I mentioned her earlier, was Elsa Steppert, who I thought was great as Irma Blunt. It is interesting that they seem to, you know, the focus is very much on the main roles and nobody on the support seems to be standing out from that. So, over to you, Graham. Right, so let's talk about back projection and speeding up the action. Yeah, the yeah. Seamless, it was absolutely yeah. flawless in this film. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have noticed it unless you were looking for it. Exactly. Yeah. At least it shortened the film. <laughs> yes, but we got so many different types of stuff this time. So, yeah. Previously, we'd had fast boats. Then we had 
in this one, we had super fast cars that seemed to be able to f- almost fly up sand dunes at unbelievable speeds. And we also had early kung fu kicking and punching noises as well, which is was just hysterical when he had that fight outside of the, the office with the guy with a knife. It was just hysterical. Anyway. I think uh, in this film, they show a lot of the action in widescreen like wide shots. And so you're able to see it a little bit better and follow it slightly better. I appreciate and, and that. You make a really good point there, Elijah, because those long shots, you know, certainly the skiing are fantastic. It's when they cut in close and you've got back projection that is patently back projection. And as I said, in the bobsleigh run, I'm sure the guy holding that camera fell over at least once because uh, it goes all over the shop. Yeah. When they do long shots, it is fantastic. Really great images. The, the the photography around it's great. It's just guys limit that back projection, please. And there is a lot of handheld cinematography. Yes. Yeah, like when you're skiing, it's obvious the guy holding the camera is skiing down there with him. Almost feels like you'd have it today with a GoPro, an action yeah. cam. I thought that was yeah. really really good, and it brings you into the mm. action in a way that a lot of other things haven't. But this was pre-steady ham, so when they hit bumps, you know, you you could see that. And there was one part of the final attack with the helicopters where one of the helicopters just disappears right in front of you. It's in the top right-hand corner. Huh. And it just it's there one second, and then it just disappears. And you think, where's that? Oh, it's landed. They've obviously edited it together, and it's just not worked. But the helicopter actually just disappears. It was hysterical. I was in fits. Movie magic. Irritated. Yeah, it irritated me that when they were shooting at Bond and the bullets were ricocheting off the snow. Which, which... <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> oh, what? What off? <laughs> which is sad because the uh, the actual impacts of the bullets in the snow was really good. Yes. 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 They got that right, just not the sound. The sound guy didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> Bullets and snow react the same way as they do on concrete, right? Right, um, yes. Yes, yeah. of course. They should have gone for the comedy noises, sort of... <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else got any more comments on the speeded up action or back projection? It was just appallingly bad. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's a real shame because the, the final attack on Peace Gloria is generally really good. Mm. You know, I mean, they I, I understand they ad-libbed that bit on the day where he slides across the ice firing the machine gun. Yeah. Um, and that's in real time. Yeah, and then they go to the bobsleigh run. and they I mean, that's exciting enough as it is. You don't need to speed it up. No, exactly. That was a really good idea. And I thought there were a couple of parts when they, when they were developing the script, they must have said, and then they have a fight on a bobsleigh. Nobody's done that before, and the, nobody had done that before, and it was no. really good, except they were punching one another with crash helmets on, <laughs> and it was just yeah. bizarre, and it was just so badly filmed. So the, the idea was good, but the execution was poor. It's a little bit wacky races, wasn't it? It was. It was. <laughs> uh, do you understand that reference, Elijah? Wacky no, races? No, you won't. Oh, yeah. Totally got it. Do you? Yay. Oh, all right. Professor really. Pat Pending. Yeah. No. <laughs> Humor them, Elijah, at their age. That's the best thing you can do. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. So much is made of the continuity error of Bond and Blowfield not knowing each Blofeld. other. Blowfield. Sorry. Sorry. Not knowing each other, despite you only live twice. 
This is the result of the novels filmed out of sequence, and Hunt wanted to follow the plot. Are there any other continuity issues, Jeff? Right, okay, so where do I start? So you only live twice to one side. I understand they were going to film this. The weather conditions weren't right, so they flipped to you only live twice. So let's assume you only live twice hasn't happened, right? So what's Blofeld done? Well, he was behind the Dr. No attempt to knock rockets out of the air. In Thunderball, he he had stolen nuclear missiles, right? So after all of this, Bond and Blofeld finally meet up. So are you saying in all those films, Blofeld had not even seen a picture of Bond? <laughs> it was like, you know, nobody had shown him who it was that was stopping them all. Well, I mean, and Bond's the- identity is so secret. I know. It's He's such a good spy it? that nobody has actually even seen him. So this guy. I'm so- sorry. I'm sorry, guys. But he was where when Blofeld didn't recognize him, he was wearing his Clark Kent glasses. And nobody no. can tell it's Superman. And he was wearing a kilt. A kilt. Yeah. 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 And, and he threw him off. And speaking in a different voice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to quote Graham on uh, Marvel movies, um, and you're adding logic to it, Jeff. But let me take that logic a step further for you, Neil. So you've got this whole thing. As I said, he's attempted to destroy the world, certainly hold it to ransom. So they've now worked out where he is. They've sent Bond in. Okay, guys, we want everything trained. We want missiles trained at that. We want Bond fully supported, army ready to move. What do they do? One guy following him on skis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And when he pops off, they don't even know where he is. I mean, really? (laughs) There's no telephones, you know. Well, there aren't, no. 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 I mean, you know, the only gadget they got in this film, which I'm amazed never caught on, was a safe-cracking photocopier. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which had to be lifted in by Crane. I'm sure they must have come up with something slightly better than that. You know, I think I saw and one of those at Radio Shack. And, and why, yeah, and why not photograph the pages like he did with the map? And yeah. instead of um, taking a photocopy, like showing off that they got a photocopier, whoopee. <laughs> well, now you're simplifying Bond. the complexity. James yes. Bond, yeah. this is the new photocopier. I mean, what was his plan with the photocopier afterwards? I mean, obviously he chucks it, but... <laughs> <laughs> obviously. He could have left it in the office as a present. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like, here's a complimentary photocopier. <laughs> yeah, from your friends at the office. Yeah. Actually, just an, an aside, when they, when he gets out of the car, he's in Zurich, and yet when he comes out of the window, he's in Bern. <laughs> I, I thought, that's the main station. What's, what's going on there? He's just got into the main station. Oh, no, he's in Bern. Oh, no, he's ah, Switzerland, they all, they all look they alike. All look yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you can, they're, they're so close, you can just walk through one building and end up in, oh. in the next yeah. city. And, and that is my final point I was going to come to is, this is Switzerland. How did they get permission to film at night? You can't flush a toilet after 10 o'clock. How can you film like that? Anyway, moving Next. on. Uh, let's all step back and let's talk music. Jeff, no theme song over the credits, but a powerhouse John Barry score and a memorable song from Louis Armstrong, which was I thought was really nice. Mm. Do you agree? And what stands out in the score for you? So much. (laughs) ¶¶ 
sorry, I've leapt into this. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you are. Give it, it, yeah. This, this is your section. Yeah, no, I, I mean, so much. The main theme, which was an instrumental theme, it's the first one since Doctor No. It's just a great track. The ski chase music. I mean, Barry was absolutely in his element. And they only use the Bond theme once, which is the main attack on Piers Gloria. So they keep that to a minimum. So you get the full impact of that as well. And as you say, Louis Armstrong's song, which is one of the last things he recorded, is just wonderful and heartbreaking. Fantastic. Hmm. Elijah? Um, I think the music is really good. There's, I think he went really saxophone-driven in this one, and um, I'm not the biggest fan of saxophone-driven scores. So th- those pieces didn't work for me, but the rest of it was great. I think they used a lot of... Um, a lot more of a soundtrack in this film than in other Bond films. What do you think of his use of electronics, Elijah? I didn't notice them. It's the first time he's used electronics, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Synthesizers and electric guitars. They had synthesizers back then? Well, they had a a thing called a Mellotron. It was an early synthesizer. Probably what Hans Zimmer cut his teeth on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great score. Great score, yeah. yeah. I'll have to Quite listen similar. to it by itself. I thought it was fantastic. Louis Armstrong's last song he recorded before yeah. he died two years later. Oof. Yeah. It's very think. sad. On a slightly unrelated but related note to Louis Armstrong, any song that he's sung I think should be illegal for anyone else to try to sing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that Actually, is an excellent yeah, I've idea. Never th- I've never thought of that, but I... You speak words of wisdom there. It's like, what a wonderful world should never be sung by anyone else. Even the writers. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever heard a cover of that? I don't think I've ever heard a cover of a wonderful world. Yeah. See, I think they're all so bad that you immediately try to block them from your memory. Yeah, you being such a big music fan, your brain probably just switches off. Jeff. <laughs> that's, oh, not yeah. right. that's not right. I can't hear you that. Spontaneously True. develop a, an, an aneurysm. Yeah, don't try and take over from Satchmo. He was the man. He was. He was, he was definitely. Right, right. Uh, so, George Lazenby quit as Bond a month before the film's release. Sir, I have the honour to request you will accept my resignation, effective forthwith. Resignation from what? Her Majesty's Secret Service. And kindly presented that monument in there. Was this a mistake, Elijah? I think he was right in choosing not to continue. Maybe not for the right reasons, but it uh, allowed other people to come into the role. The, the interesting thing on that is they never went with an unknown again. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Roger Moore, Pierce Brosnan, Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig, all were known before they took on the role as Bond. And uh, Connery wasn't very well known when he started out. No, that's, that's right. He was more of a, a, a bit actor. He'd done some, some British thrillers. He had just done a small part on The Longest Day, but he was nowhere near the, you know, the, one of the top actors in that. But he had time to grow into it, didn't he? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas Lazenby was um, basically, you know, one minute in and he's uh, people are criticising Mm-hmm. So the question to you then, Neil, remains, do you think Lazenby could have grown into that role? Was it a mistake for him to quit? Uh, yeah, I, I I say almost glad he didn't. He did seem to irritate people. Probably could have done, but we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have got Roger Moore. Oh, right, hang on. Maybe he should have done it. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody does it better. 
Oh, <laughs> oh please. God, no. It's a terrible, terrible I'm not one. looking forward to re- reviewing those ones. Okay, um, live and let hey, look, the spy you he, love me. He, he, he set the stage for Pierce Brosnan to be able to to uh, <laughs> yes. sail surf over icebergs. So Okay, and Elijah's also descended it as well. <laughs> <laughs> Double um, down. Yeah, Graham. Um, it was definitely a mistake for him because yes. he, he could have grown into it. But was it a mistake for me? No, because I I thought he was, I thought he was just a a bloke in a suit, and he didn't really capture any of the magic that Sean Connery had. And Roger Moore, yeah, we've all got our problems. Definitely, it was a mistake for him to leave early. But uh, I thought, you know, I couldn't wait to see the back of him and bring on Roger Moore. I can't believe I've just said that. <laughs> they got rid of the Australians, so, I mean, I think we're all on board yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was doomed yeah. to begin with. Yes. Yeah, I think you decry Roger Moore too much, as we'll see when we get to those films. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was a mistake putting George Lazenby into that. I don't understand what their thinking was to take a non-actor and given him quite a meaty role as Bond. I mean, we've spoken earlier on in the show about how would Sean Connery have dealt with this. I think what would have been interesting is how George Lazenby would have dealt with something like Thunderball or You Only Live Twice. I think that would have been far easier for him, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think that this film showed is that James Bond is not just a character. You know, you need to, to get inside it and br- breathe life into it. It it doesn't work if you just have somebody come in and, and go through the motions. It needs some passion. It needs some clear delivery. It needs chemistry with the with the leading ladies. All of those sorts of things. It's not just a, a Lego uh, replacement. You can't just snap in another, oh, here's another guy. We'll just stick him in. He'll be bonded. It'll be fine. You know, it really showed that you needed somebody who could actually act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's do final thoughts. Graham, I'll start with you. Well, that was my Graham's already had his final thoughts. Neil. Could have been a really good film had um had it been done with maybe Connery and it, it it's a, a opportunity missed, I reckon. Elijah, final word to you. I mean I think it's a it's a really enjoyable film as long as you kind of divorce it from this idea that it's a Bond movie. If you watch it as just a spy thriller, I think it, it does the job really, really well. Especially from the period. It's not North by Northwest, by any means. But it is very entertaining. But what is? I think that's that's a fair summing up. Hmm. So thank you all for another fascinating Bond discussion. James Bond and At The Flicks will, as they say, return. We have a new decade coming up. However... Our first return to Bond will see a familiar face back in the role. More on that shortly. Bye for now. Guys, thank you very much for a great time. Hmm. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Yes. Thank you.